0: Wisdom is, of course, in words, but it's also in how someone speaks and how someone shares their information.
1: Hello, and welcome again to this season of podcasts from Talking Leaders why podcasting is perfect for leaders. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome to the podcast today, Katerina Smets, or should I say Dr. Katerina <laughs> Smets?
0: Hello, Paul.
1: Newly qualified. Hello, Katerina. I looked you up. I, w- I was looking at ways to describe you and I came across something which I think is a website of the Royal Academy of Fine Arts in Antwerp. Right. Right. Uh, Which describes you there as a sound artist and doctoral researcher, which you are. You model documentary material into audio stories, both for live performances and for podcasts. And we met at MERP, which is the Meeting of Independent Radio Producers. Right. In Leuven, when was it? In May, June?
0: Yeah, it was the last days of May and the first day of June. And, um, MERP is actually also a super free organization, right? It is a, it is a group of, um, people who, who make audio storytelling their life. Let's put it this way. And it originated. I think almost 10 years ago, when a few of more European audio storytellers, it was a, there was a Danish producer, an Italian producer who started the whole thing uh, together with a Swedish producer, but also a Canadian producer. So it was not only European. Um, and we came up together with the idea to just do this meeting to talk about narrative storytelling, audio, um, whatever you would like to call it, more adventurous storytelling uh in sound
1: well i i as i said to you before we before we started recording i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was a, a super meeting i mean very very audio nerdy
0: absolutely
1: and that's what i like <laughs> i liked about it because suddenly there was a r- rooms full of people who who understand and love all the things that i've i've loved about uh, about working with audio um and right. uh, that, that it's not that common. It was great. I gave that brief description there, Catherine. I mean, maybe you could just expand on that a bit. Just give us a sort of potted history of you, because you started out actually in radio journalism, didn't you? So right,
0: yes. I um, So my actually my very first steps in radio were at a free radio in Leuven um, when I was a student, and I actually started making um, reportage, uh, like more like arts uh, on arts news, let's say. And then I, I was able to do an internship at the Flemish Broadcaster, like a Vlaamse radio and televisie. It's a VRT. And um, so I worked for actually the classical radio a little bit. It's, I think it's quite comparable to Radio 4, to, to, to the BBC component. It was not like strictly journalistic in the sense that it was on politics, but it was on arts. So I was an arts reporter on literature, fine arts, theater, sometimes a little bit more engaged, socially engaged arts. So that was, let's say, that's what I did for almost five years. I also read the news for a short time in my career when I was 24. So that is where I started. And then I actually started working more for the Dutch radio. So I Started working more across the border in Amsterdam for the VPRO, which is a part of the Dutch broadcast, where I did more or less the same thing, but a little bit more elaborately. So I started making longer pieces on art. So interviewing artists in, in Dutch and in English, that's what I did. And then I started making actually more documentaries because that's where my heart actually lies is in this documentary form, be it in just sound or on stage. So I make documentary theatre. It maybe it sounds a little bit complex, but actually it is very much about history. Together with a video artist and a musician, we dive into, um, a, yeah, we, we did several uh, performances now. One actually on the complicated Second World War Polish history. Because
1: um, you're, you're half Polish, aren't right, you? Right,
0: yes. So... Uh, since a year or something I have a Polish passport as well. And so and our on our latest performance was on Belgian migration to the United States. So it was you have these little pockets of, of communities in Detroit, right? And one of them is a Belgian community. And we actually dove into that and it's of course a little bit of pars pro toto. It's a little bit about migration in the States, um, by example of this weird little Community of Belgians who were super nostalgic about Belgium. So we saw Belgium, Belgium from the fifties, actually, in Detroit, which was really weird, <laughs> but also endearing. So, so that's what I do.
1: And because uh, 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 actually, we we'll, we'll maybe touch on this again because right. that 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 whole event, that whole that whole part of your your work, uh, it features very much in what you ended up studying as part of your doctoral thesis, didn't it? I mean, there's there's an opening piece to you to the to the book that you produce as part of your your thesis uh between me and you where you, you I think you start off with an episode a rather weird encounter right. you had with uh, <laughs> There someone. was actually
0: a series so that's a part well that the scene I'm describing there is a part of a series I made for the Dutch radio so that's in the in the time when I started uh, making uh, more documentary like pieces for the VPRO for the Dutch radio and it's also where Um, I think it was the second time I ended up in Detroit and I made a series on, let's say, to put it bluntly, I made a series on why do people make art if the city is bankrupt. And actually, so there was just the same year um, the city was declared bankrupt and there were some rumors that the DIA, so the, the city museum would have to sell art to pay for pensions. And then I'm actually, my main question was like, why do people still like bother (laughs) making art? Or like, why is it important to, to have a museum in the city if you actually have to pay? People's pensions, so, you know, like old city workers. So, and that's and that's actually that was my starting point. I was just talking to people, and they, they weren't like established artists. Um, I was really looking for people who make things at home or write things out of a certain need. Um, and that is how I ended up um, with writer.
1: <laughs> Which is that's, what he calls himself.
0: Yes, he was a writer called Writer. And he actually asked me, because I asked him at a certain point, is that your real name? And then he said, like, is Katharina your real name? And I was like, yeah, well, good question, actually. What is my real occupation? What is it? I really also really appreciated the fact that he, his whole identity was writer. And I'm also sometimes, and it's a good question, like, is my identity maybe also documentary maker? Anyway, but now I'm diverging from from maybe the scene that you're asking me about in the beginning of of my PhD thesis, which is more of an essay. So I, I did a PhD in the arts, and I had a lot of freedom to decide on the form in which I wanted to present my PhD, and I decided to write this book.
1: Well, let's focus on that, because actually yeah. there's – I can't remember where I found it now, but I will, I will dig it out, and I will put a link in the notes. There's actually a piece, about a half an hour piece of you – talking about uh between me and you isn't there yeah online
0: yes which I,
1: I i very much enjoyed listening to uh recently and that gives the the story a bit and i think is it that one that has some of the audio of your interview with writer
0: absolutely yes
1: yeah which so. I, I, let's not talk about it now let's get <laughs> people can go away and listen it's I, I i the nervousness that you clearly were feeling comes through very strongly and and one if you when you work out why and understand what was going on, you can understand it the bit with the with the gun was just i don't know how you how it's you a did good it.
0: cliffhanger it's a good cliffhanger Paul. but maybe what is interesting to talk about in this and maybe it's something um that might be interesting for the listeners too, is what I'm looking for is let's say something happening now on tape or something developing in the moment on that you're recording it. Yeah. And um and that can also be of of course, I make a little bit more of like scenes, but scenes is just, you know, something recorded in in a certain place, right? In a in a person's home, or you know, when you're on a walk or when you're like living something or maybe in a hospital or whatever. That could be a scene where you also describe the place you where, where you are. But of course, it can also happen in a conversation, right? Where you try to have a real, com- a real conversation. Of course, that sounds maybe a little bit overused or something this term, but what I mean by that is that there is just something genuine happening in the moment. And I think a listener picks up on that.
1: Let's let me just let me just frame that for everybody then, because we 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 are at risk of being a bit nerdy and assuming too much uh, for 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 the listeners. So, I think I think one of the the main things uh, that I wanted to get out of our conversation today is, I mean, one of the things I really really enjoyed about reading uh, between me and you because you you publish your thesis in this book form, you set out, if I'm paraphrasing this properly, to try and understand how to begin with how what you do as an interviewer how that affects the final piece and you wrestle in the first part of your essay with should you be there you know should should you actually be part of the the whole piece and then you come to realize that well even if you don't hear your voice you're still very much part of the piece and so therefore It's a false idea to think that you could ever create anything that that wouldn't have you in there. So therefore, maybe you should go the other way and and actually actively participate, seek to be part of it, accept that you're going to be it's going to be at least a bit about you. And and then so you then go down this whole route of exploring how the interactions between you and the interviewer and the audience all contributes to the overall uh, phenomenon that you you create if that's that's the right word
0: i think yeah wonderfully uh, summarized thank you for ah, that thank yes
1: you. Yeah, yeah good i'm going to remember that <laughs> Now, the thing about that is that that what really impresses me about that is because of the the thought that you've given to this you've got an idea of how all those elements that, that i've just walked through affect the final product and therefore play their part in creating an effect so that when the piece is, is is created and then someone if you like consumes it listens to it it has has an effect on them now the kind of work that you produce compared to the kind of work that i produce with clients i think on the surface would see, would be very different would seem very different i mean in in email exchanges you know i think we acknowledge that the processes that i have to follow that i do follow are maybe could be described as being formulaic. They're certainly very strategically focused, as we would say in business circles. There are very specific outcomes that we are trying to achieve. And so uh, it, it's, it's, it's sort of very structured in that way. And I think, you know, some people would think that it's it's actually very, very stage managed and planned, but and it's done like that because we have a very clear idea of the effect that we want to achieve you know i start off conversations with clients by saying how do you want people to think feel and act differently when they've heard what you've got to say And i've sort of summarized it really recently when i was i was thinking that you know what is what is audio podcasting in a leadership sense particularly good at and and what does it deliver? And uh, there are sort of three areas that that I th- think it works well in. One is explaining complexity and nuance, leading to understanding. Mm-hmm. The second is, for want of a better phrase, presentation of the person of the leader themselves, which, if done well, can inspire and mm-hmm. build trust. And then the third area, which is a somewhat, it's slightly different to the sort of leader communication stuff is something that I've I've in recent years started to call wisdom capture. Actually, what I'm talking about is wisdom sharing. And this is where you're trying to capture um, wisdom, the benefits of experience. And it's that kind of understanding that's, that is quite nuanced. It's know-how, it's now, so it's all these words, which you're trying to share. And what you're trying to trigger there is growth. So those are three areas I focus on. But the way I focus on them it is very structured to bring about those outcomes. But nonetheless, this is where I think we start to converge. And I'm talking a lot here, so I need to get to the point.
0: No, I'm, I am think it's very interesting, actually. So,
1: Is we're both looking for an effect. We're trying to create an effect. Now, my approach is very targeted because of the outcomes that, you know, the, I get engaged by people Because that's what they want, you know. It's it's funny. I used to. I've been calling podcasting, audio podcasting, a leadership communication tool, and it suddenly struck me the other day. I should take out the word communication. It's a leadership tool. I mean, communication is is part of the skill set of being a leader, but it's it's not just a communication tool. It's a leadership tool. So it's very very precise in that way. But. And this is this is part of my campaign to try and persuade more leaders to think about using pure audio. I think a leader that understands how they can use audio to be a more effective leader, they're going to find that exciting. And in particular, there there are two aspects of of uh, audio podcasting that get recommended. Which I I, there, there are a whole range of different things, but I think they fall into two groups. The first I would classify as being the practicalities uh, because it's accessible, it's flexible, you get great engagement metrics, you can measure how many people download. It's cost-effective, certainly compared to things like video. You have global reach. You know, It's long-lasting content. All those kind of things, they're all great. And in this season, people have already talked about those quite a lot, which is good. But actually, the bit that I find even more exciting and which I couldn't, I'm, I'm struggling to get across to leaders is the impact that it can have. And that's things like creating a personal connection, being able to be a thought leader, if you like, about engagement of groups, about storytelling. And so to come back to my point, what I'm really keen to hear and to talk about more with you is. Is this effect thing? Why is it a good thing? How and, and what are the kind of things that, that that one can do to to really exploit this this phenomenon? I think a, a good audio podcast from a leader will change somebody, and I'm I'm imagining that that's an, an outcome that you would also seek for your work. Is that by once someone's engaged with your work, they are even in a small way somewhat changed
0: that's the goal that's this that's the not so secret goal let's say i really liked yeah your your uh, three points or your three your three ways of of getting into this effect and i think actually you used the word um, the stage set let's say and i th- I, I think quite literally in the arts we can sometimes pretend that we don't we don't seek a certain effect but of course we do and we have all these kind of tactics to reach this certain effect and for example using your personality in this more uh, storytelling podcast is a major tool and i think that is something i have been circling around in my phd because you are trying to do this in the 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 most ethical and artistic way possible so that you don't just use the other and yourself for a certain effect, but be honest about the effect you're looking for. And also don't be afraid to show yourself, even though if it's like a storytelling tool. For for example, I am talking about the fragile eye and it's also a paper that I wrote and, and, and rewrote for this uh for this book. And it's actually a moment a few years ago where I realized, okay, but my uncertainty and my doubts with a certain encounter are also part of the story. And uh,
1: you mean so you as an interviewer right. the, the, how how you reacted to the interaction that you had with the personal people that you were interviewing.
0: Yeah, yes, and and I can only speak of course from a reporter's standpoint but that was something I was not learned to deal with. I was learned to be certain of myself, present myself uh for the broadcast in a composed way. Speak properly, be polite. And of course, you have to be all those things like this, this showing of doubt. And going through, let's say, some a form of personal growth, and I'm not saying it's an upwards growth, but just going through this certain process is also part of the story. And there is an element of wisdom that I have at the end of the story. And I'm not saying that every story I make has a closed moral or like a very closed ending, but I th- I think an essential part of my work is this search. This personal connection that you speak of, looking for the impact that you can make, I think this is also very important, I think, that that you shouldn't shy away from this maybe personal struggle that you might have in the process of, of doing something or researching something or, or discovering something.
1: You shouldn't shy away from it because why? What, what, what is it that you get from...
0: A personal connection with your listener. I think that is really important, but also um, I think it's also, and now I'm going to use maybe a, a bigger framework. But I think it's also it's also an ethical choice in a certain aspect. For example, I can I can take the example of the 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 work we were doing about uh, Poland and uh, the memory of the Second World War in a small town. It is a very, it's a minefield. (laughs) It's a political minefield. It's a historical minefield. So. The only thing we could show and search together with our audience is like we have all these elements. How we are going to put them together is our choice. So it was very much also about how memories created, etc. But the idea there is that people actually maybe also question the, the certain ideas that they had about Second World War and in Poland. So, that is actually the effect. But also, that the idea of this performance in particular was that you question how memory is created and that memory is a constant creative process where you have to reevaluate all the ingredients you have. Um, so, but this is to say that this search is very much part of the story. Like, if you present just the outcome of facts, then you don't engage your listener, or your audience, you have to take the, the listener along in, let's say, an evolution or a story. And I think if you can can take them along in your thought process, I think that's really important. And also, maybe your view of the world or your view on the environment that you are working in. It is actually something that I uh, took from sociology I took some classes in sociology a few years ago. And I just, I noticed that the the researcher was describing himself also in a community and how the community reacted. And so it was not only about describing as an outsider, like this and this and this is happening. These are the, let's say, this is what I noticed, but they also described how the community reacted on them and how they got to this information. And I I think that is just really important to know um and i and i think of course for me it's really important to show that so that is the reason why i think it's important to be present as a maker also in your work so that people know oh you're a woman of a certain age certain demographic and that is how you access this information and i think it just really adds to then a listener can can make up can can decide how genuine you are, or um, I think I think it just adds to the honesty of the information in a certain sense. Yes,
1: fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, three words were were floating around in my head as you were as you were talking there. First of all, was is is a word that gets used a lot in leadership terms uh, circles, and I think it's right that it doesn't that's vulnerability show your vulnerability why because it actually then leads you on to the second word which is to do with authenticity being real and and not being artificial not creating artificial outputs you're you talking earlier you were know, saying about being a news reader and, and 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 that kind of of information sharing broadcasting and those those kind of presentations those kind of things can appear Disingenuous in in a way, and and you get a lot of of communications in 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 leadership terms, which are the same. They're artificial creations. What's wrong with that? Uh, you know, because you've, you you're setting off to to uh, uh, as I said before, achieve very specific outcomes. What's wrong with it? I think that that then leads you on leads me on to the third word, uh, which might sound a bit pretentious to some people, but I'm I'm sorry, the word just kept. Shouting itself at me, and that's truth. Mm. I think that's what we're talking. We're both talking about here is we're trying to get to some kind of truth. I'm not. I'm, I, d- I I very much sign up to this idea of there is. There's no such thing as one truth because different people have their own truths. Uh, I get that, but there is. But I think truth is a thing and i think i think that's what we're we're talking about is is doing things in such a way that we we are honest and open about ourselves and and therefore hopefully allow other people to be honest and open about themselves um and sharing by doing that that makes the whole thing authentic it's not about creating authenticity it is actually getting to to the authentic exactly and by doing that and doing it well we then open up the possibility for others to access some kind of truth
0: right and i think also i think you're very right of course i think by being honest and showing yourself you can approach this truth or at least you give the the audience that listens that listens to you the possibility to to make up their own mind because they know who is speaking and why this person is speaking And also, I think part of authenticity is also don't shy away of being uncomfortable (laughs) with certain things, right? Like reading the news was like doing a PowerPoint, right? Like everything is set out and you don't actually need a human voice to read out certain points. It's more agreeable. But you don't need a personality to read the news, uh, and, and for, I mean, for what it's worth, I think it's really important that the news is on the radio, etc. But I'm just saying, like, you don't actually need a real human to read. You, you could per- perfectly have a really good AI voice <laughs> reading the news, but it's it's something completely different when somebody uh, shares their experience about a certain thing. Then I just want to be confronted with a living, breathing sometimes doubting person who takes me along on a journey of their experience because then I can relate to this person. It's not about giving every possible example because then i rather read a, like an academic paper, I guess. I think this personal experience is so important when you are using your voice to share with an audience. Being vulnerable is is showing this doubt, is maybe being a little bit awkward at at moments, it's not a problem. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually part of this authenticity. And it's a little bit perverse as well, because you can perfectly rehearse also. If you do this for years, it can become a little bit where you think like, oh, and now I have to turn on the doubt a little bit. And so you can train it a little bit. And then, it, of course, the authenticity becomes a little bit perverse as well but um i'm just saying that you can also train yourself in being in the moment and trying to react in the moment on information that is coming to you or maybe a difficult question or maybe a, a difficult memory or something you have you are struggling with part of a part of information you can struggle with that together with your audience and maybe that is that is maybe something that I needed to learn yeah that I actually really wanted to learn as well is how can this this fragility be part of my story as well because I think it really adds to authenticity
1: because the thing is when we when we do these things when you know when I interview leaders for for, for podcasts or or when you you create documentary works uh I mean it's it, it is an artificial thing, and, it, and there is an element of performance. I mean, we, we, we behave, we talk, we interact in ways that we wouldn't uh, do in other situations. Uh, I mean, I work very hard when I'm interviewing people to, to get them to forget about the microphone. It's one of the things that I, I think is great about audio as opposed to video, video for example. I think it's easier to, to forget about the presence of the microphone than it is a camera for most people and i do try and get people to relax to the point where they are speaking to me as they would have been speaking to me before I switched the microphone on or if we were just meeting and having a, a coffee or something like that and yet I'm fooling myself if i ever if I feel i ever do fully achieve that um because there is there is a certain degree of artificiality and performance about it but i think, I think what we're talking about, I think what you're talking about is is saying, well, fair enough, but that doesn't mean it can't still be authentic and you can't still bring your real self and that by doing that, that will create an effect which is that much more genuine and therefore, I don't know, I would say more worthwhile.
0: Absolutely, and I think about the good thing is, I did a few interviews about more traumatic experiences for a new project recently. The good thing about having a microphone there is that you have this this concentration for the duration that the microphone is on. You know that you are going to create this for yourself, for the other person, but also for the imaginary listener. So there is this heightened concentration you make this space where you know, okay, this is, I'm not saying it's a safe space because a lot of things can happen there, but it's intensified space. And of course, as an interviewer, it's important that, that you, that the other person feels safe right like um that you know that you know if it's too emotional or if it's if it's getting ugly that you can turn off the microphone that you can talk about it etc but i really like the fact i also really like this artificial uh space a little bit and maybe this is a contradiction it's not because it's an artificial space it is inauthentic i think what happens there is still authentic an interesting thing um i just heard an anthropologist Talk about this is of course total different field, but she was talking about uh, interviewing trauma survivors. She was uh, doing research in Rwanda. Of course, she said, "What can scientists learn from radio people and and the other way around?" She actually said, um, "Don't shy away from emotion because emotion is a very human, genuine thing. If people don't show emotion, then you have a problem." then they are dissociating or something. So don't shy away from that. And I, and I thought like, okay, this is something I intuitively know, but it's really good to hear a scientist talk about this again. Like, okay, when, don't shy away from emotion. That's really important. But also when you talk about, we were talking about aftercare with the people we were interviewing, because of course you share this super intense moment where they talk to you about maybe horrible things that happened to them. How do you do that aftercare? And I, and I suggested like your microphone is also a tool where you say in this space, when we are recording, we are going through this process together. This is my job also. These are the rules, but I'm not making the rules super explicitly, but it's just, you know, you know, I'm going to ask you things and you can answer me things, but that doesn't mean that we will see each other every week for the following years no this is the this is the heightened this is this closed moment that we're going to share and this moment is going to be genuine and then this is going to go into the world etc the presence of the microphone can capture something really real and also the presence of the microphone just sets the stage right
1: and mm-hmm. if you turn it off yeah, yeah. The,
0: the curtain falls yeah.
1: so that leads me on to think Something sort of a, a flip of that, if you like. One of the things that that happens sometimes with people I interview is they get they do get very nervous about the fact that they they're going to have to to be interviewed and and it feels it feels awkward. And so I will get asked, "Oh, can I have the questions?" And uh, there's a certain way that that's asked where I I know what they're wanting is they want the exact questions because they're going to write down their answers. And, and if they can, they, they're, they're going to almost sometimes actually read out their answers because they want to be fully prepared. And I, I never, never do that. I always say, no, I, I will give you some questions which will be an outline for our conversation so you can be prepared about what we're going to talk about. And in particular, you can think of examples and stories that might illustrate points you want to make. But I'm not going to give you a list of questions that I'm going to ask you verbatim and have you read out your your answer because it I mean, numerous reasons. One, it's actually very hard to listen to most people reading exactly. because they have a very flat reading voice and it doesn't, it doesn't work. And then two, they're not usually present themselves. It's like they've sent their ideas off and, and the ideas are, are there on their own. So it, it, it doesn't work. Um, it's the PowerPoint, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's no spontaneity. So the compromise is that well, you know, we have a we have a sort of loosest framework and, and, and structure. But 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 what am I trying to get to here? I think it's something that you you were touching on. There's something else as well, which is I do if I can love to try and create or leave spaces or leave opportunities to let things just go completely off the rails because sometimes and I don't mean fall apart and go wrong, but just just you know, set off down a down a total diversion, because sometimes by doing that you can get, uh, you know, sort of audio gold, fantastic tape. I mean, I I, I give you a, give you a tiny tiny example, which I've cited many times. Regular listeners to the podcast will say, I know what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about Magnus. I now I'm curious. I was once interviewing somebody for a series about how you deal with. It was for a pharmaceutical company, and it was dealing with regulatory authorities. And you know, you go down to the regulatory authorities, and these meetings can be they're, they're, they're very important because they're all about assessing a drug's effectiveness, its efficacy, its safety, It's about whether or not the drug gets approved. And I'd never asked this question before, but just off I don't know why I just said to, said to this guy, I was getting on very well with him, and I said, anything ever go really wrong and have any really horror, horror stories?" And on the tape, you just hear him groan. What you can't see is he puts his head in his hands and he says, oh, yes, but I can't tell you about (laughs) it because it was just too horrible. (laughs) So Anyway, he did tell me. He did tell me. And what it was about was that he's a lovely, mild-mannered guy. He ended up in this situation, working where he was meeting with the German authorities, and there was this particular guy there, and they got into this argument, and Magnus lost his temper, <laughs> and started to get really angry, and it was very, it, it was a very salutary lesson for him. Fortunately, they, they rescued it, but it was it, it was very important, very useful lesson, but also for me as an audio nerd an audiophile, it was just tape gold. Mm-hmm. Because it was it was real. You know, he was back in the room with this guy. It clearly had triggered him. Yes. And I hadn't planned that.
0: But it's because Magnus trusted you, right? That he told this story?
1: I think so, yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: If we're talking about tips and tricks, and I don't say this in a in a derogatory way, because of course I use methods to get people talking as well and feel at ease. And it's just a human thing. I don't think it's evil necessarily. But for example, I I really like the fact that you use more like, okay, we are going to this this will be the boundaries of our conversation. We will talk about this and this and this. I think you need that as a as a person being interviewed, at least because for example, I am not a an, an English native speaker, so I just need to write them down some vocabulary sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So um mm-hmm. So I just need to form my ideas sometimes a little bit earlier than on the spot. But it's really true that you don't want people to read out their story. What sometimes can help as well is to talk about yourself a little bit. We actually did that before we started recording. We talked about the state of the world. Uh, we talked about elections and about things happening. Yeah, we were already on this this in this calm speaking mode. And another thing is like share a little bit about your person as well. Because, for example, if I'm interviewing a community or a person sometimes for a really long time, for sometimes, yeah, I don't know, years, they need to know about my life too. I'm not sharing this with everybody, of course. You need to be careful with that. It's an exchange. I cannot expect another person to talk about all their insecurities to me. And not and be this massive like untouchable interviewer myself, and I'm not sharing that it should. Be, I'm not saying that it should be like this sharing of of um, I don't know sentimental stories, but I think it's just important that the other person knows that there is also an authentic person sitting opposite them.
1: I couldn't agree more, Catherine. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're talking about genuine human connection rather than. Emotional extraction. I and mean, if you turn up exactly. and say, "Okay, here's 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 a subject. They've got some material that we need. How do we extract it from them in some sort of audio surgical way so that we can then take it off and make use of it?" And that's uh, that, no, I I'm certainly not interested in that. And, and to be honest, I don't think it works. I don't think it works anyway.
0: Absolutely. Like, would you? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think uh, I'm. For example, if I would ask somebody. How did, you, how did you become a leader of this organization? They can give you a perfect uh, curve of every event, but maybe you want to hear more about their motivation or maybe the setback that they had. And of course, this person has to feel safe enough in your hands, but also have an idea that they're safe enough with your audience to tell this. Mm. You sent me an example of your podcast and I, I listened and it relaxed me that I could also, that it was a really... Nice and genuine conversation. It doesn't always have to be nice. Maybe s- scrap the word "nice." It can you, you can get you you can have opposite views. You can fight even. Uh, in my PhD, I I use a lot of the ideas of uh, the philosopher Martin Buber, and he talks about encounters. Mm. And he says an encounter doesn't have to be pleasant. It has to be genuine. Mm. And I think that is something also like you don't have to be like smiley and nice all the time if you want a certain certain information from somebody. So you don't have to be the most agreeable person all the time. I mean, you have to be polite, of course, and and cause no harm. But even in a podcast, you can ask difficult questions. Mm. And like I said, like the uh, anthropologist um, that, that gave the lecture on trauma, emotions are not your enemy. It's the it's the opposite, like the total absence of emotions that is your enemy, actually. So, um,
1: yeah, I, I think that, that 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 talks talks to the trust thing there. I think I, certainly, if I if I interact with somebody and they and they, they seem to be um, uh, an, an emotional desert, um, I'm not. I think I would struggle to trust that person because I'd think I don't really know them, right? And, and certainly. I think you know, for leaders thinking about using this kind of thing, I think that's a key point. If um, if you want people to follow you and, and and you know really commit to you, give you their trust, they do need to have a reasonable confidence that they know you to to a sufficient degree. And the and and I think the, the certainly the best way to do that, not no not the best way, actually probably the only way is to. Let them see the real you.
0: And it doesn't have to be a perfect person. No, no. Right? It doesn't have to be the newsreader or the PowerPoint. I think that audio is actually also a carrier of emotion. And that, it's, that is something you say like the, the, the wisdom. I think wisdom is, of course, in words, but it's also in how someone speaks yeah. and how someone uh, shares their information. Yep, yeah, yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. We could go on for hours, and hopefully we will, <laughs> but we won't make less, less, the, the audience listen to all of it. I, I have notes and notes and notes of th- things I took from your book, which I would like to, to go through with you at, one, uh, at some point. But that's probably for a different time, a different occasion.
0: Or a different podcast.
1: Yeah, or, or a different podcast. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> a whole season, if, to be honest.
0: Um, Nerdy notes on radio stories, Absolutely.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. But... Finally, um, which a lot of people have have found, most people have found to be the stinker question, can you give, uh, because we all have examples, can you give us an example of an audio piece, whether it's a podcast or some other piece of audio, that was memorably impactful on you and it made an impact on you? So uh, I think as I said to you beforehand, it doesn't have to be uh, your favorite piece, but it's something that illustrates uh, certainly illustrated to you how audio can can have an impact upon you.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I give two examples? Ah, uh, please do. <laughs> so what I thought was just r- what is just an example of beautiful writing and um and the idea of a personal evolution of a person uh, doing a podcast. and you probably know Jonathan Goldstein's heavyweight. yep. And I think. Of course, he is a little bit of a, a, a writer in in mm. his podcasting mm. as, him as well. So the way Jonathan Goldstein does his delivery in his podcast, it's spontaneous, but it's at the same time also a little bit written, and you don't care because it is, and the rest of the podcast is really spontaneous and is you know in a very conversational uh, style so so but i really like the dynamic between those two so maybe it's worth to listen to to hear how something can be written and then that then can be again abandoned and then um
1: is there any particular episode that you remember uh,
0: oh the, the... man i love so many of them i really like the beginning of uh, heavyweight so there is um there is one. Oh, that's a beautiful one. I think it's the first or the second episode of the whole uh, heavyweight first season. I think there is one that is called Buzz, and it's about he's going to interview his his grandfather's brother, who is an extremely grumpy man. So it's uh, also a bit about encountering people who maybe are not the easiest to be to interview. But it's mm. he he talks a. It's a lot of self reflection in this um, episode. Actually, it's also there where he's sometimes a little bit clumsy, and he tries and he fails. And so, of course, it's not something you have to do as a leader uh, in a podcast. But it's it's a it's I think it's a good example of maybe a vulnerability and how vulnerability can be a really
1: good tool, a good storytelling mm. tool. Mm. He's famous. He, I mean, other people have mentioned him really to me lots of times. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm I'm a member of. Um, uh, it's what's called the podcast brunch club. It's, a, it's a, a virtual global group where we we listen to a series of podcasts every month. But the the London chapter, there's a hardcore there that they're huge heavyweight fans, and they they've they've got me me into him. So I've uh, I've listened, to and I recently listened to one, which is which is it was it was a fascinating audio piece. I know it wouldn't appeal to everybody, but it certainly appealed to me. And it was about he had a friend. Who loaned some cds to moby
0: yes oh that's a, that's i think that's the second or the third episode yeah. of the really the beginning of the series, yeah. series but i think i'm just thinking about what is it that makes it so interesting is that um he's just first of all he's really good at storytelling so mm. um, if you're listening to listening to this episode and it doesn't matter if you don't make like this this uh, enormous stories it's just it's very much about how you tell an anecdote for example and it is a setup s- things are happening and then in the end um there's a summary and it's not it's not let's say childish in any way or it's it's weird also it is funny um and it's just I don't know really smartly done and it's also a little bit yeah self-deprecating humor I think, mm, Al- mm. although people should be careful with that also. But uh, I think he just, uh, I don't know, he he uses it very well.
1: Yeah. And your second example?
0: So my second example would be uh, Seeing White by John Buen. It's a podcast made by Seen on Radio. And I think it was made thanks to the Duke University in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it is actually, is actually—it's it's a journalist on a search. And it's a very complicated search. It's actually about the origin of uh, the concept of black and white uh, in America. If we are talking about uncomfortable, well, discussions, it's all about that. And I think he he's very good and very masterful in in opening himself up to a difficult conversation.
1: Is he white or black?
0: He's white, right. and his co-host is uh, black. Right. It's. It aged pretty well. It's not very. It's. Um, I don't know. I think maybe it's already like six or seven years old, the podcast. Mm. So of course, a lot of things happened um, mm. since then, and it's it's a very historical uh, podcast. But of course, it is actually it was very much at the beginning of um, of a lot of things that we are a little bit more accustomed with now. Of course, certain things would would different now I listened to it with my students last year and they were like oh but that and then but I said like okay but you really have to listen to how this journalist opens himself up and like sets the scene for maybe a really difficult road yeah yeah to
1: yeah. go down yeah. to wonderful brilliant I, I don't that's not what I know I, I certainly will go and go and uh, and have a listen I've just opened it up now and it'll some fascinating titles there yeah
0: John Buen is a really good journalist. He made a lot of pieces and he's really good in this tone of showing himself and, and but in the same time really sharing information.
1: Super. Really good. Okay, so let me say, Dr. Katharina Smets, thank you so much for coming on to Talking Leaders.
0: Thank you and good luck.
1: Many thanks to Katarina for taking the time to share just some of her insights and expertise and what it takes to create effective audio storytelling and communication. I would also like to say thank you to Katarina for speaking to me in English. One thing that the MERP meeting re-emphasised to me is that although podcasting may be dominated by English language shows, there is a huge wealth of wonderful material and fabulous talent out there working in many different languages and cultures. And thank you to you for listening. If you've got this far, then I'm guessing that you're either already a fellow audiophile or if you're new to the idea of using podcasts, hopefully you've begun to develop your understanding of how impactful audio can be and how you can make it work for you. So, ready to give it a go? I'm Paul Gisby of Talking Leaders. Do you need help getting heard, being understood and building trust? Let's talk. Goodbye.